I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Although Black architects attain the same education, perform on the same project teams, and complete similar project types, historically their credentials are questioned and their work often goes unnoticed. We're here to change that. I'm Karen Burton. And I'm Sandra Little. And this is Hidden in Plain Sight, and that's spelled S-I-T-E. The podcast where the world can get to know the very significant contributions contemporary and trailblazing architects have made to the profession, the community, and major cities across the U.S. Well, we're back with Hidden in Plain Sight. I am just so excited about the interviews that we've been doing and uh, the architects and architectural designers we've been talking to. I'm glad the audience is getting to know the designers who are shaping Detroit and uh, shaping Michigan and shaping our architectural profession. Yeah, I mean, in the interviews, I've, I've learned from some of the people we actually know a little bit more about them than I did before. Really getting into their experience and how they came through everything is really feeding into our project as well. Learning more about the common pathways that happen, even though we're all on mm -hmm. in different spaces and different places. Right. Uh, and I will uh, suggest to our audience, if you haven't looked at the show notes, take a look at our show notes because they are full of information. Uh, a lot of links to American Institute of Architects, NOMA, and the resources that they have to offer. Resources for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our Detroit City of Design Spotlight. There's a lot of information there. And 
you know, the information that our uh, guests have offered to us throughout uh, their interviews. And yeah, we, we've been really heavy on the Detroit thing. Yeah, we, yes. you, you just have to live with it. That's pretty much the focus of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to that's convince. Why, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. That we're convincing everybody here. to come to Detroit, look at the design yeah. and architecture of Detroit. Yes, we have yeah. a little bit of a. We're biased. We're biased. Detroit. We're biased towards <laughs> Detroit. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. So today we are talking with an architect who we kid a, a little bit and say he's Detroit adjacent because his practice is in Pontiac. We are talking with Kendall Bowman who is a licensed architect in not only Michigan, but also Illinois. Kendall is the principal of his firm, Arco Studio. And he's also a project architect with TMP Architecture in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Kendall has garnered experience in a myriad of architectural sectors for his portfolio from historic renovation and preservation of existing buildings to airport work and airport additions in Abu Dhabi. At every juncture, he has quickly and effectively learned the intricacies of each sector to become an indispensable part of the architectural team that he is part of. Kendall, again, has returned to his hometown of Pontiac, Michigan, to work through the development of the city and his mantra is access and equity by design. He is focusing on uh, renovating single and multifamily homes to provide affordable housing in the Pontiac area. And he's working on his own developments at a smaller scale for the community. And then his work at TMP Architects gives him an opportunity to work on educational architecture in urban landscape. We are glad to talk with Kendall today. Please stay for the entire podcast episode because there are some things that he talks about that are um, will be a surprise to some people. Yeah, yeah. He actually, when we say uncandid conversations, this is really with uh, Kendall. He really kind of shared his experience with us. So yeah, definitely um, tune yeah. in for that. But I, it was. Um, great to almost like see Kendall in two different phases of his career. When I first met him, he was with the U of M um, with the yes. Nomads chapter. We were just getting the Nomad Detroit chapter started and then to um, be able to work with him upon his return back to Michigan um, with yeah. him coming to work at Quinn Evans for a time right before the pandemic, really. It was right, I think, a year before that. And then um, uh, that's where we kind of ended the uh, with with him when we went into the pandemic, um, okay. as everybody went home. <laughs> so uh, yes. <laughs> so you mentioned the Nomas chapter and um, the forming of uh, Noma Detroit. Kendall is also the president elect for the Noma Detroit chapter. Yes. So yes. we are looking forward to his leadership and um, the the new ideas and the great ideas he's going to bring to our chapter. Yes. Yes. They've actually. Uh, started our Midwest region meetings together. So him and Brian Cook, who's the current Noma Detroit president, um, and Kendall's coming in in January of 2023. And uh, they're doing their handoff now. So they're starting their baton run now. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see uh, the smooth transition of leadership. And like I see both of them, just to see them 
come from anonymous students to now professionals and licensed and right. president. Ah, I feel kind of no more proud, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now, Kendall Bowman. So welcome, uh, Kendall Bowman, Kendall with one L. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are happy to have you on. And I am excited to learn more about you. So good to have you on today. Thanks. I uh, I gotta say this is my uh, my first podcast interview. This is this oh, is okay. all foreign to me. So you gotta be gentle, uh, <laughs> audience. Be gentle. Don't yell at me too much, please. Wow, this is a casual conversation between <laughs> friends. That's all that's happening yeah, here. That's right. That's right. Kendall, I'm going to use the term that you just used. Uh, we have a trio of Detroit adjacents on today. You yeah. are not from the city of Detroit. You are from Metro Detroit, though. So yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and okay. your Metro Detroit, Michigan design story. All right. So as you stated, I'm Detroit adjacent. I'm from Pontiac, Michigan, 45 minutes up the road on I-75, born to Clara and Leo Bowman. Uh, my Detroit design story I mean, it's 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 interesting in its own right. I'd say I graduated from college in 2008, kind of like the height of the housing bubble collapse. So there wasn't much real work or design being done. It was hard for me to find a job. It was me looking on every website that I could to try and find a job. It was my parents trying to use whatever connections they had to find me a job and get me and just just you know get you in the door so that you can get some experience luckily with the help of my parents primarily my dad i got in part-time just two days a week at uh, hobbling black in ann arbor and then i had actually found another job on craigslist working with a developer his name was dennis apolanos i know a lot of people in detroit know him it actually kind of foreshadows what I would be doing in Detroit later on. So it was going into abandoned buildings, doing surveys, trying to figure out how to make these abandoned buildings be housing, be a redevelopment for apartments. Quickly found out that this probably wasn't what I, or who I needed to be working with. So I quickly exited from working with him. But for, I'd say, I don't know, six to eight months, Two days a week, I was driving from Bloomfield to Ann Arbor, and then another two days or three days, I'd be driving to Detroit. Some days I would get my days confused, and I would drive to Detroit when I was supposed to be in Ann Arbor or, or Ann Arbor when I was supposed to be in Detroit. But, wow. Wow. you know, it, it's 2008, so I'm just, I'm just trying to gain experience. I'm just trying to make it work. I ended up quitting both of those jobs and started working down in downtown Detroit with Kramer Design Group, doing exactly what I was doing with Dennis, historic preservation and uh, historic rehabs of buildings in the downtown district. So it started off with the David Whitney building, that's now the Loft Hotel. And then it progressed into Capitol Park. So that was 1145 Griswold, which is now got Prim and proper, 
at 1212 Griswold, which was the old Detroit Savings Bank, and then 1249 Griswold, which is the Farwell Building, which all of them basically doing the same thing, going into an abandoned building, doing surveys, figuring out what's there and rehabbing it to commercial on the bottom and residential on the top, kind of a podium style that everybody's doing right now. Two, three years later, I left and went to Chicago, stayed there for six years, came back, actually ended up working with you, Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked with Sandra on a development on Detroit's northwest side on Grand River, say Apartments. But I mean, I didn't really have much to do with that. I was just trying to help out where I can and do some construction document work. Then we got sucked into the vortex of the two-year pandemic after that, right? <laughs> and then, and then the pandemic hit, and you know things happened. I had to, I had to take a little break from working with Sandra, but still my girl, much love. Um, same, same here. I was still working. I actually ended up working uh, with a mutual contact that we have. Her name's Kim Dokes on some projects that uh, her firm was working on, and I kind of just became this. Hired gun. That's what I'll call it. I, I was a hired gun where I'd come in and, you know, I'd help with projects, head projects if, it, if they needed to be headed. And if not, then I would just be in the background doing construction documents, doing drawings, whatever's needed to make the project work. And now I, I contract myself out to PMP and I work on my own developments up in my Detroit adjacent Pontiac, Michigan. <laughs> And I try to find my way back to Detroit to do more work uh, where I can. You make the challenges work. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I was going to say more than a higher gun. I'm going to say like it's a movie role where the guy comes in and call it a cleaner. Yeah. yeah like you, you, you come in and make everything right. You know, it's like you can call it in the cleaner. So you call it in <laughs> Kendall to handle it. That's funny. Like uh, a, a colleague of mine, me and Damon, we were talking one day and I was just like, man, you know, I, I feel like that old. CIA agent who has all these special abilities, like is on a farm, right? Uh, just in the middle of nowhere, and some helicopter comes in and lays down. It's like we need you. <laughs> I'm like, I told you I was done. I right. I was done. I don't want to do this anymore. And like, but you're the only one that can do this. So. Then I end up doing one more job. Just one. Right. That's a that's a great place to be though. When people know that they can call you and they can count on you to get the work done. It's it's also nerve-wracking because it's like I just a little bit I'm a people pleaser and I don't I don't want to disappoint people. I don't want to do something that that messes up your project. I don't want to do something that is outside your scope. I don't want to do something that causes you to have to pay more money. When I come into these, I'm always like, all right, let's just make sure we do what they ask and don't mess up. Yeah, so you feel like you're carrying a heavy weight when you, when you come into a project. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, but, you know, you, you get through it the best way you can. You ask as many questions as you can. And you just do your best. That's all you can do. What made you consider, like, going to school for architecture and wanting to be an architect? And then tell everybody what school you went to as, as well. I went to the University of Michigan for uh, undergrad and grad school. 
Woo, go blue. We finally got some. Uh, she over there doing that go. All right, go I knew blue. she was over there doing the go <laughs> blue thing. We have so many Lawrence Tech grads on here uh, already. Okay. I, so I, go yeah, blue. So I went to Michigan. <laughs> uh, we'll have some more conversations about this later on. But I went to Michigan. I don't know that there was anything specifically that made me want to get into architecture initially. In high school, I drew, draw characters. I portraits i was in all the art classes just it was like a break for me in the middle of middle of school just sit down teacher gives me some assignment that i'm actually i actually want to do so you don't have to really tell me anything else it was you know sketching it was photography it was mixed media it was art class so i found that that's the thing that i liked the most i was on the path to engineering mechanical engineering Initially, I was on the robotics team, drawing stuff in CAD, drawing nuts and bolts in CAD and fixing stuff on our robot. When I got to college, the engineering just felt sterile to me. It didn't feel very creative. I'm sure there are creative parts of it, but it just didn't feel like enough. And I actually had to go to uh, summer school before I started my freshman year at Michigan in a program called Bridge or CSB. Um, so I had to go to CSB. Uh, just to make sure that, you know, you made that transition to, to college and you didn't have any, any slip-ups, any missteps, or anything like that. And actually, one of my uh, peer advisors by the name of Mashanta Armstrong, I don't know if you're watching or listening, Mashanta, hi. <laughs> she was applying to be in the architecture school at Michigan. And, and you know, I just kind of got really inquisitive about what are you doing? What's is architecture how do you get into that school what do you have to give them or show them in order to get in and you know she just kind of took me by the hand and said this is what i'm doing this is how you do it these are all the parts and pieces of it and i found it interesting the first two years of college was just me checking all the boxes for my prerequisite so i could graduate to be totally honest it was just, this is a goal of mine i need to get out of here because my brothers took more than four years to get out of college, and I'm gonna be the first person to get out of college in four years. I didn't do that, so more power to you on that. <laughs> I came in with a with a laser focus of I'm getting out of here in four years, and I'm not about, I'm not gonna play about it. So after two years, it was like, all right, <laughs> you need to figure out what you're gonna do to get out of here. You just taking on a prerequisite to graduate, but you gotta figure out what you're gonna major in. So. I went back to, to what did you want to do in freshman year? And it was like architecture. Okay, so let's figure out what the what do I need to do to get into that school again? So I got back in touch with Mashanta. She told me what I needed to do. I found the prerequisite classes that I needed to take to get into the architecture school. And from there, it was just kind of off. I didn't, I didn't have any more questions because the two classes I had to take, it was two drawing classes. Both of them were four hours long. They were in the same room in the basement of a building. And every Tuesday and Thursday, I was in there for eight hours in the same seat. And I have no problem. I'll sit here and draw and do whatever you want me to do for the next eight hours. And I just kind of got, I got an itch. And I was like, all right, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Let's see what this is. And the more I dug, the more I was just like, all right, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and apply. I got in. I got my mind blown because of all the things that I found out I didn't know. 
I mean, that's a odd way to walk into it too. You you uh you hadn't met an architect? Nope. Like I I, I even say when I started out, I researched what architecture was. I was researching architects. You were just like. It's nah, the, the, the drawing I, was the hook, the cla- the drawing. Cla- yeah, it was the hook for me. It's, and if you talk to my mom, it's always been in me. That part's always been in me is the, the drawing portion. Not necessarily buildings, but just being able. That was, I don't know, some kids just have that thing that allows them to just be able to sit still and just not move. And that was my thing, drawing my dog, drawing my parents, drawing buildings, drawing cartoon characters, Sonic the Hedgehog. I drew Sonic the Hedgehog so many times. <laughs> um, and then like coming up, then starting to come up with your own ideas of like the characters you want to draw, things that you want to see. That's what kind of led me to it. It wasn't necessarily a person or anything giving me the idea. It was just kind of I call it like a natural a natural progression. You not only had to do undergrad, so you 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 learned and your eyes were open and awakened with uh with the undergrad experience. So Yeah, we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll say that. Instead of say I got my butt kicked in it. No. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what was it after the two years of architecture that made you realize that I'm gonna go on to my masters and then, you know, your license. So, you know, explain how well, you how it kept going. So Another thing about myself is that I don't like to leave things unfinished. And I got into architecture school and the further I got into it, you know, you start asking questions of, okay, how much am I gonna make? How do I do this? Am I an architect after I graduate? Is that just it? Am I an architect then? And then you find out, nah, there's all these other things you gotta do. And so that's when, like when I got into undergrad or architecture school, that's kind of when I started to actually do the research of what I had to do to do this. Once I start doing something or once I put my mind to something, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to complete that task. So I researched that I had to do three years of interning hours. I had to take seven tests. I had to get a professional degree because my undergraduate degree wasn't seen as a professional degree. I found out that I had to if I was licensed here in Michigan, like I couldn't be an architect in another state unless, you know, either there's reciprocity or I got to take more tests. Like I found out all this stuff when I was in undergrad. And to me, I was just like, all right, well, this is the path you chose, buddy. So let's let's get going. Um, let's just do it one one step at a time. It's overwhelming if you try to do it all at once. Just take one step at a time and let's just get each part of this this marathon done. And so that's what I did. I, I got my undergrad degree, figuring out where I was going to grad school came along. Uh, I didn't really have a choice. Uh, I was going back to Michigan because I found out that there's varying numbers of years that grad school could last. And I was like, I don't want to be here, be in grad school for three years. I'd rather just be in for two more. So we're just going to try and get back in here. So let's rub the elbows that we need to rub and talk to the people that we need to talk to to make sure that that becomes a reality. I got into grad school, I finished grad school, and then I I graduated and I came out and, you know, housing market crashed. So uh, (laughs) then it was like, 
it was like, all right, how am I going to get all of these hours? It's it's almost three years of hours that I have to get, and I can't even find a job. This is outrageous. How how do people do this? And, and you sound like you were doing a you know you were you're a matter of fact checklist type of guy. I see that right, but. What I, you know, you did, did you have a mentor? Did you have somebody who was helping you kind of think about like how to move the needle? Because I mean, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like what we talk about a lot that as an African American architect, you are alone sometimes doing a lot of the things that you have to do. Some of the resources. I mean, I won't say that I didn't have any resources. I, Craig Wilkins has always been a resource to me. I like to check the boxes, but I'm also very hard headed and stubborn. And I know that about myself. I think that I can do everything by myself and I don't need anybody sometimes. Um, so I'll just put my head down, research, research, research. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And once I feel like I know what I need to do, then it's like, all right, I'm off to the races. But there's always been somebody to say, hey, you good? You all right? You And Craig has always been somebody that I could bit too to say hey this is what's going on and honestly i i don't think that i ever took any of his classes at michigan he was a professor at michigan i don't think i ever took any of his classes i don't really remember how i met him but in my mind it's probably like i'm a black guy he's a black guy there's not a lot of black people in this building we cool just we cool that's how it is um mm-hmm. To this day, he's still somebody that I can call on and say, hey, this this is what I got going on. How do I go about this? But at the same time, there was a lot of me being stubborn and just saying, no, nah, I'll just fight through this myself. I'll figure it out. You're just very determined and you knew what you had to do, but you just kept. Yeah, and it, it's, it's also my parents. My dad has always been like, he's a judge or he was a judge. He retired. And same with my mom. She's a nurse. Uh, she's also retired. Anytime I had frustration or, or I just didn't know what I was doing, they were always there to, you know, try to help. Is I mean, because they're not architects; they're you know a nurse and a judge, but they know how to do research as well. They know how to ask questions and anything that they found, you know, they relay it back to me and say, "We found mm-hmm. this." does this make sense to you? Because we're not architects or we're not trying to be architects. So we don't know if this necessarily makes sense, but this is what somebody told us. Um, and this is what we we researched. So does this make sense to you? If it did, I'll take it. If it didn't, mom, dad, I don't know what that is. That's not going to help. So I definitely had people looking out for me, helping me out, but I was also hard-headed, very hard-headed. Uh, and it probably would have saved me a lot of time had I not been so hard-headed. So as far as like the class that you were in from from U of M, so Mashana was ahead of you. Yeah. And the NOMAS chapter was was started on campus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so were you in the class with like uh, Rob Smalley was there, Damon Dickinson was there? Yeah. So I was in the class. Uh, I don't know if you know Nicholas uh, Zapata and Mashanta was there. Damon was there. Rob Smiley was there. Pierre Roberson was there, Alanda, Kathy, rest in peace. Um, We actually had a really good group. You did. I remember that Nova's group. That was a good group. Brashina was there. Shelby Moffitt was there. She's at the city of Detroit now. 
Derek Scott was there. There's a lot of us, actually. Yeah, now, that yeah. I, now that I go through the list and think about the oh, list, wow. there was yeah. there was a good core group, and we kept each other we kept each other honest, and we kept each other safe. But yeah, it was that was a good time there, at least in my mind. I, I always look back fondly on the experiences I had with them. I call my experience at Michigan positive with scars, but overall it was positive. So once you once you got into the, you know the school of architecture and you're drawing different building types, you're creating ideas of building types. What was what was your inspiration starting to be then? What was, what kinds of architecture did you like and kind of start to get into as you got deeper into the profession? I would say like one of the first buildings I was just like wow uh, is actually I think it's still one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, it's Anger Wat in Cambodia, like just seeing something that was built in the 12th century that's still standing, that's huge. And just my mind is like, how in the world did they build this? I mean, granted, you got you got you got, you got the pyramids too, but it, but still I was like, that's just amazing. Like the the detail of it, the size of it, how long it took to actually build it, just everything about it was just something that was like People actually designed this and built this. This is crazy. How do how do you go about doing something like that? And that kind of just made me dive dive deeper. Um, I mean, nowadays I'd say my current ones. I'd say like the African American Museum in D.C. Falling Water for some reason has always been on my my list. I haven't actually been there. I want to go really bad. I know it's like six hours away from me right now. We need to do a tour from so Detroit. We all, We've been and, and we all jump that. in Ken's RV and go because I'm down. I haven't, I haven't been to Father Water yet. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's apparently there's another one that's like, I think they said like two hours away as well from, from Falling Water. That's also, it's really off the beaten path, but it's amazing apparently if you go. Um, so you might have to make that happen. Um, and then I would say, trip. yeah, I would also say like the house I grew up in now currently is kind of an inspiration to me because the older I got the more I got to learn about the house like my parents bought the house they were the first people to get into the house it was it was a faulty house but it was a development it was like affordable housing so that people could buy their first home and that at the time I don't think my parents really had the money to actually purchase the house but this affordable program that was created allowed them to purchase their first house. And that's the only house that I knew when I grew up. It was, just, it was a two-story colonial house with an attached garage. And they just made this development. The thing about it was like everybody who bought a house in this development had kids that were like my age. It was like a a weird, nice neighborhood in the hood uh, where everybody had a backyard. We played basketball. We played high go seek. We like everybody had. It was like the fairy tale childhood that you want your kid to have. And it was like a bunch of people who were just regular people who who didn't know if they could afford houses that were given the opportunity to uh, to buy a house by this development. That's an that's an amazing that's an amazing story actually. Yeah, it's like an American dream house, and it's just this mm-hmm. was before you know my dad was a judge, and I think my mom was working 
at uh, Sears. I think it was Sears. So I think my dad was either still in school or just finished school and was just becoming a lawyer. So it was just like they were just becoming their grown up selves and they were uh, able to buy a house. And it's just it, it, it's something that's inspired me. And that's kind of part of the reason why I do my work in Pontiac now. That's a great story. Yeah, that is. I had a similar, well, I grew up in a similar neighborhood. It was, it was, well, it was predominantly African-American, but uh, all, all mid-century modern kind of ranch style houses, but great neighborhood. We literally have a, a reunion this weekend. It's like that type of neighborhood where you like, everybody still get back together. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah. this is the place to be, right? You grew up. So that's, that's a good story. Yeah, it was, it was. I, it was the best neighborhood a kid could grow up in. My elementary school that I started out in before I started going to private school, the elementary school I went to was around the corner. I walked to school. I walked home. My cousin, I could see their house from my backyard. So it was my first cousin. It was my mom's sister. It was run down the hill, go to your cousin's house. Run down the hill, go to your friend's house. One of the neighbors had a basketball court in his backyard. So we played basketball there. One of the neighbors had a pool and he would let you come swim in the summer if you could swim. And your parents signed and your parents signed a waiver that so he wouldn't get sued. Right. That's smart. He's no, he was, oh, he was, he was but he was a really <laughs> nice guy. He was like, y'all can come swim. You just gotta be able to swim. You gotta show me that you can swim. So you gotta swim the the length of the pool and back. And your parents got to sign this waiver. Other than that, Come on over. Nice. Yeah. The American Dream neighborhood. That's what it was. For black people. <laughs> That's great. That's, it's great yeah. to hear those those type of stories versus, you know, you you hear the opposite. So when you hear the the success, right? Of yeah. you know, I like I say how blacks in America can live and it just you know, second generation college kid, you know, you start getting into you know, all of those positive mm-hmm. positive accolades. It's a great thing to hear about. Not a lot of the stories that we hear on TV. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm definitely one of them. Yeah, I feel the same way too. Very fortunate, and you know, you like, you like, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is cool. So do I. See, yeah, that's what a, to- a Detroit adjacent gets you. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> 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 I mean, Pontiac ain't, ain't. It wasn't the most. Uh, Sterling, it has its issues too, but yeah, Pontiac or Detroit adjacent got me a nice little neighborhood where still hang out with some of the friends. Shout out to William, shout out to Reggie, and everybody else from the neighborhood. And actually, after we sold we sold the the house, the person who bought the house was actually the next door neighbor who I grew up with. Oh wow, <laughs> wow. So he stayed in the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah so oh. his, mom, his mom, who used to babysit me, she actually ended up moving into the house that I grew up in. Wow. wow. That is so cool. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah. yeah. So what type of projects are you working on now, Kendall? So currently, I am doing some renovation projects in Pontiac. I'm keeping it in the family. I'm renovating my grandmother's house. And it will soon become a rental for somebody. It'll be nice, so be on the lookout. So that's with my company. And then I have some vacant lots that are around the corner from my grandmother's house that I will be developing 
that's a little bit further out, probably about three, four years out, but looking to put some single family houses with some uh, accessory buildings for apartments as well. And then I am also working on a school, a five-story tower in Saginaw, Michigan. It's a beast. It's a it's a new architectural sector that I haven't had much experience in, but I'm learning a lot, uh, and I'm learning it very quickly. Once again, the higher gun coming in. Um, <laughs> Architect as developer is pretty cool. I mean, that's something. Yeah. I was just gonna say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still I'm still shooting for it, so that's good. That's very good. Yeah, it, it's that's also a learning process. I'm trying to do it slowly so I can learn as much as I can. I've actually taken a couple classes on how to develop like that missing middle piece. There was or is a group. Um the incremental development. Yes. Yeah, group. Yeah. 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 So I took that I took that seminar, like that weekend seminar probably three years ago now. I I lived in Chicago. I had to come up to Adrian, Michigan for a weekend seminar. I had just had my daughter and I was, I had bought the vacant lot and I told my wife, like, look, I got to do something with this lot, but I don't know what to do with it. I bought it. It was really cheap. I couldn't say no. It's three large lots for like 750 bucks. And I was like, I can, I, I got to do something to it, but I don't know how, but there's this program that I feel like I can figure out how to do it. So I drove in the middle of winter to Adrian, Michigan from Chicago in a hotel and learned how to be a small scale developer. Um, so I learned pro forma, capital stacks, how to basically get financing from a bank, putting together a bank package. And then I didn't do anything for three years. Um, and then I finally got around to it again to come back to it. And it's, it's funny that I, I, again, I'm stubborn. I'm very stubborn. So I, I started, I started looking at the lot and starting trying to figure out how to make this work and how to do it. And I'm, you know, up burning midnight oil trying to figure out how to make this financially feasible. Yeah, they had given me the answer like three years ago, and I did, like I came up with it myself, but they had already given me the answer. I had to find it again <laughs> on my own to make it financially feasible. And I'm just like, I wasted three years trying to trying to do this. They gave me the answer three years ago. Why didn't I just do this three years ago? He said, it's timing, it's timing, that's all. It wasn't meant for you to know that. I see determined you say stubborn because if you're learning stuff and doing stuff, I mean, you're like so determined right. to like, you you actually took you took the I initiative took, to I take the, the class to learn how to do like, it. So. All right, yeah, I'm, I don't know if that's gonna work. So then I take three years to figure out the same thing they told me. That's just slow minutes. processing, brother. That's just that's all. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was it was churning in there. I just was slow. Appreciate you trying to put a sweet like sugar coated when I was being stuck. I, 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 I like to be real with myself. You, were, I was being stuck. Or just being hard-headed, just, just not listening. I should have just listened to what the man said. I think what it was previously, because he, he brought up the idea of the ADU three years ago. And I'm like, the way he, he phrased it, I think, turned me off of it. And the way I put it together, I was like, 
oh, this is a lot nicer. <laughs> I like how this looks. He was talking about, you know, like a hot plate and just like slapping it on the side and just yeah, that get is as much money as you want. And I'm like, I'm not about to make somebody live like that. What? Is, I'm not a monster. But 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 he was a developer. An you are the yeah. architect as developer. So you're gonna look yeah, at I'm it like, differently. I'm not a monster. I'm not gonna make them live in squalor like this. What are you talking about? A hot plate? No, they're in the kitchen. So they get a micro kitchen. I was like, <laughs> yeah. But you know, now that I've actually looked at the the zoning and, and things of that nature, I'm like, okay, I can give them an ADU. That's like, it's not a hot plate. It's not a hot plate. You can give them like. An actual micro kitchen, it'll be okay. They'll have a refrigerator, they'll have you know, they'll have all the things they need. And I've lived in the studio now, and I'm just like, they'll be okay. Just just breathe. They'll be all right, man. So I think I maybe you're right. I just had it was slow acceptance. That's not that's great. Uh hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. <laughs> We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. The path to be a developer does take a lot of, to me, I say processing because you're you're like, okay, it's a financial piece to it and a design piece to it. Right? Yeah. So you, and you're like, okay, the financial part is what make me was which makes me move slower. And it's like, okay, wait a minute, and I gotta finance this part and do this on this part, and can I handle both things at the same time until, you know, till you get a renter? So that part moves slowly, but I think. It sold you once you saw it, like that that visual piece was there for you, and then it clicked for you. So. Yeah, and I think I'm I'm starting off smaller, and it's a little less financially intense for me. Plus, I got you know my partners, uh, my dad and my brother. They make it a little bit easier for me to 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 chew on and to swallow because it's it's spread out, and everybody's taking a part or a piece of it. So. I'm I'm taking short. I'm in the in the shallow end right now. I'll jump in the deep end with the vacant lots in a couple of years once I get this one up and running. That's great. That's a good good to have a starter project. Something you can start and learn on. Some people bite off more than they can chew. So that's good that that you know that. It's terrifying, but it's exciting at the same time. 
So now we're going to do our Detroit City of Design Spotlight. We started out our podcast and in the middle of each, we have our Detroit City of Design Spotlight. But we want to back up a bit and let people know what the Detroit City of Design is. And that is a designation. That is not something that Sandra and I made up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That is a true designation. So we want to talk a bit about Detroit as the city of design designated by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO. And we are so proud that Detroit is the only city in the United States with that designation. Yeah, it was uh, so exciting to be a part of the advisory board to put together that submission and looking at, you know, Detroit and going after this designation, right? And we're like, yeah, we have, uh, you know, all of these great things. It's beyond the automotive industry in Detroit, right? There's so many things and layers of of design. Um, We have the College of Creative Studies here in, Mm -hmm. in Detroit, and that's one of the top three design schools in the country. Uh, not only for automotive design, but for ceramics, fine arts, product design, you name it. You also have, we mentioned in our episode, our first episode, the uh, Cranbrook School, which uh, all of the mid-century modern thought came out of, of that school. So that that legacy and was put into the submission. We have Frank Lloyd Wright houses in Detroit and, and surrounding suburbs. Great architecture that's downtown. Uh, and, you know, just the art culture just blooming here, Karen. Now, you can talk yeah. about that with the work you're doing with uh, the artists in, in Detroit. Yes, working with uh, the city of Detroit with the City Walls murals program. At least 20 artists, more than 20 artists uh, that are involved with that program. But there are even more artists in the city of Detroit that are creating murals. I think Detroit was just named one of the top four cities for public murals and public art in the country. So uh, we are excited about that. And Sandra mentioned the architecture. We've talked about Cranbrook, but we have um, buildings designed by Daniel Burnham and Olmstead Design Bell Isle Park, yes. which is now a state park. Uh, used to be owned by the city, but now it's a state park. Olmstead is the landscape architect that designed uh, Central Park in New York. So we have our own Olmstead Design Park. Yeah, very nice island. If you ever come to Detroit, yes. you have to visit Belle Isle, the Belle Isle Conservancy. I actually have to say, give give a shout out to Quinn Evans. They've done so many restoration projects on Belle Isle, keeping <laughs> the existing historical buildings there that are, yeah. that are on site. There are um, buildings that are designed by Albert Kahn, who is a, definitely a, a staple to Detroit, um, that are on the Belle Isle Island. But he has hundreds of buildings in the city of Detroit that he's designed. Um, in classical style, as well as he's known for what he's done in the industrial world uh, with Clearspan and what it did for the production of automotive uh, industry here in Detroit, and a lot of work for Edsel Ford and and Kendall has a you know connection to he's worked on you know some of these historic buildings while he was at his short stay at Kramer Design and able to work on uh, the David Whitney Building, which has mm-hmm. one of the uh, one of the nicest. We have a lot of them. Historical buildings converted into hospitality here in Detroit. Um, there is like a whole little uh, row of buildings that are downtown Detroit that have been restored. That are some of the best boutique hotels you could stay in. Um, this uh, Aloft Aloft yeah. Hotel is inside of the 
David Whitney building, which Kendall worked on, but there are tons of others like that. We had our but Noma conference in the Book Cadillac building, mm-hmm. which is uh, now has the Weston Hotel. And I'm telling you, if you stay in any of these buildings, the best uh, hotel stay in downtown walkability you could have. So that's definitely a good gem for us to look at. Yeah, and then there's some uh, also some historic houses where bed and breakfasts are housed on uh, in the Midtown area of Detroit. Yes. So those are beautiful places to stay as well. Our museum district with the Detroit Institute of Arts and Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, beautiful buildings as well as housing um, some great works of art and exhibits. We have one of the largest what theater districts too. Yes, one of the largest theater districts in the country. Fox Theater, the Fillmore Theater, all all historically restored. The Fox Theater restored by the Illage uh, family um, here in Detroit, and the Gem Theater was like a historical theater that was on Woodward Avenue and was re- mm-hmm. relocated to continue and actually expand out the theater district a little bit more, and now connects it where the Opera House is and around that area so just wonderful and music hall yep very music all this all historic and beautiful buildings to yeah to come see so just a lot to see here and it's, and it's actually beyond detroit too so like we the title of this episode is the detroit adjacent mm-hmm. and uh with kendall coming from pontiac there's other areas around the city that contribute to um this whole design city of design narrative and story and pontiac is definitely one of those areas that also um, has a very historic background, um, very focused in the automotive industry, but still have, they have a nice theater in their downtown, this, uh, mm-hmm. the Strands Theater that's been renovated. And they're working on restoring and renovating the entire downtown district. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's all historic and in that whole area when they're, they're looking at doing now. So the story is beyond Detroit is definitely Metro Detroit when we were putting together that submission. So like I said, we're just going to keep uh, keep dropping the gems and letting you hear about all this great stuff. You mentioned CCS and the visual arts and design at College of Creative Studies. And I also want to mention that Detroit has a very robust and growing fashion design industry. Lots of industrial sewing businesses and collaboratives and uh, lots of fashion designers, including Tracy Reese who is from Detroit, and she has come back to Detroit to get more people interested in fashion and get uh, more fashion designers moving forward in their businesses. And uh, the Pencil School of Design uh, recently purchased the Lewis College of Business, which is the only HBCU in Michigan, historically black college, um, that is bringing shoe design, and other fashion design and other uh, design disciplines to the city of Detroit, along with they're working with the College of Creative Studies as well. I, I like the fact that they're, the city of design has really helped to anchor um, the fashion industry because that was the one industry everybody's like, we have to leave Detroit if we want to be successful in, in mm-hmm. fashion, right? And we lost a lot of greats to, to New York and uh, you know other cities. So this designation has helped to bring awareness and identity to that and and attracting those individuals who are from here back home. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you have an opportunity, uh, look more into Detroit as a UNESCO city of design and really understand why Detroit is the only city 
so far in the United States with that designation. We'll always be the first. <laughs> <laughs> always will be the first, but so far the only. And now back to Kendall Bowman. So I want I want to go back a little bit because I don't want to treat your years in Chicago like a vacuum. So how was it? And uh, I know it was 2008, right? You're in the middle of the, of the recession. And how did you get there? So Chicago was after Kramer. So that was basically 2013 to 2019. I started at Gafari doing aviation architecture. So airport so uh, Gafari Chicago office is where you started. Okay. Yep. All right. So you never worked in the Dearborn mm. office here and went there. You just went straight there. Okay. So I went straight to Chicago. Um, so I was doing airports and military facilities. It was a great opportunity. It was positive with scars. It was probably a bigger scar than, than most. But I did have the opportunity to travel abroad, to work abroad, to work in Abu Dhabi and Dubai to present to princes. So that was new. Uh, uh, you can't glaze wow. over that one either. Yeah, you something. gotta say something about yeah. that. So what was that like? <laughs> so I was doing a addition to Abu Dhabi's airport in the check-in area, um, basically making like more space for kiosks and food and some offices, things of that nature. And I was also doing uh, an expansion to the baggage area, like the baggage sorting area that's on the lower level. With that, they wanted somebody from the Gafari Chicago office to be in Abu Dhabi to do the presentation. So they had a, they had an Abu Dhabi office. It was really small, but they had an office, but they wanted somebody to come from Chicago to help with the presentations and do some work there. So I was there for, say, a month to a month and a half. And mind you, I had just moved my then fiance, now wife to Chicago. And then I said, hey, so I'm gonna go to the Middle East for a month or a month and a half. You cool with that? You good? <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> I'll be right back. Uh, she was a little hesitant at first, but she was cool with it. Thankfully her sister's in Chicago as well. So I was able to go and present to a sheik. I've never presented to a sheik. I don't know if anybody else has. You won. No, I have not. It was uh, <laughs> scary. Yeah. So did you have like other team members with you or you were? I mean, I were... did, but it okay. was like, I, I had team members with me, but they were just like, you're going to do the talking. And I was like, ah, all right. <laughs> that's a lot. Kendall. Yeah, that's, that's great. This is scary. No, it was scary is what it was. So did they have you do the talking because you were the best presenter or they didn't want to do the That's talking? That's a great question that we'll probably never know the answer to. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. They trusted me to give the best presentation that the office could give. And so they put, That's it, awesome. they put it on That's my great. shoulders, put the team on their back or on my back and just get them to the, to the finish line. I mean, it went Excellent. fine. It, it wasn't. It didn't have to be what I what I hyped it up to be. But you know, when you're mid twenties and somebody tells you you're gonna present to a sheik, you're like, "What? Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. I wasn't." That needs to be hyped up. No. That needs <laughs> well, to be maybe hyped if you would have told me that prior to me showing up to in Abu Dhabi, I might have <laughs> rethought 
actually coming. But hey, they threw you, throw you in the deep end, see if you can swim. Yeah. Um, I right. traded water. Right. I, I gave the presentation. I talked. We went through all the plans and, and materials and thoughts and ideas behind our design and our design intention. And they they were cool with it. It ended up getting built. So thumbs up to me. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, first you first you've been Abu Dhabi, you know, then you pre- you're presenting the sheets. You're working on a project type that most people don't get a chance to work on. We were talking about scales, right? You got all the way from a you know, airport pieces, which are very large scale to, you, you like I said, you're doing, you know, house projects. So mm-hmm. that range in your profession and in your career shows how you're able to have an understanding at, at various scales and different and, and different backgrounds and culture you can step into. So that, that says a lot about you, Kim. I guess so. Um, I, I also, I give that up to my dad. Um, He's had me in in politics uh, since I was a babe. He's been running for judge and office since I was a little kid. So I would always have to, you know, make me give a speech or make me go do literature pass out. When he's when so you have the, to explain his platform, right? You used to explain, <laughs> I have to talk about him and like right. hype him up as much as possible. So it's like. It's kind of been ingrained in me since I was a kid to like have to talk Mm -hmm. to people. Naturally, I'm an introvert. I will sit in the corner and just I'll be quiet and just observe and just watch. But if you make me talk or if you ask me a question, I'll talk to you and I will let you know whatever the subject matter is. I'll talk to you about it. But when I don't have anything else to say, quiet again. The profession has given me a lot and given me a lot of opportunities. Going to Abu Dhabi was probably the, one of the larger ones and one of the more exciting ones. Um, so what, what year was that? You said you're coming out of the recession. And you oh, man, you're that. making me think about years. Uh, <laughs> so it was probably 2014 is when I went to Abu Dhabi. Okay. I left to Gafari at the end of 2015. And then I went to <laughs> another change. I went to a small corporate architecture, commercial interior firm in Chicago that was right up the street from Gafari called Heidsick Shady. All of their business is in the loop of Chicago. They, they weren't fancy. There was no frills. They were just no international, no international travel. travel. So you gave that up. No, we don't. We don't advertise. They had their core clientele list, and that's who they stuck with. And with them, I learned. You don't have to go everywhere to be a successful firm. All of their stuff is literally, well, I should say all of it, but a vast majority was inside the L train loop. And what they did is they, they had good relationships with a lot of the building managers and, and property managers within the loop. Anytime a new tenant came in, they needed to tear out everything or close to everything that was in the old tenant space. And they needed to redesign the space for this new tenant. The new tenant would tell Isaac what they wanted. They design it, take care of the permitting. They, they did furniture as well. So it was kind of a one-stop shop for the property managers to get their tenants into their space. And even with the 2008 stuff going on, they didn't have to fire anybody because even if you know, if, if a tenant had to let people go and they had to reduce the space, 
Isaac still had to come in and reduce their space. So they mm-hmm. still had work. And so it was kind of an interesting thing where they were insulated from any kind of financial crises that was happening. They're like, we always got work. That's a good model. The other thing was you have to maintain those relationships and you have to make sure that you stay competitive with your with your work. You have to make sure that your prices stay competitive. You have to make sure that your designers are actually designing things that the tenants like. And that the uh, property managers like. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the per- permitting process. I became like the head of doing all the permits and coordinating with contractors. And I mean, I did projects as well, but it was a kind of an all around thing because they wanted me to take over the, the company when the current owners retired. But Wow. Wow. Now, how old were you there? Look at look at what you're walking into. <laughs> how old were you where you were you were at this firm and, and you're. Literally walking into a succession plan. Uh, so I was when I was 30, 30, 30, 30. That's, that's amazing. Wow. And they wanted you to take so over. You were, you were licensed already? No. Okay. Wow. They knew, they knew I was, I was getting licensed. So I was taking all of my exams or trying to take my exams then to get licensed so I could take it over. <laughs> and I ended up actually getting licensed while I was there. But I shortly after quit. Uh, bombshell, here it comes. I quit because, one, I was getting ready to have my daughter. But the main reason that I quit was that I had a, I didn't have a very good experience there. I walked in after finding out that my wife was pregnant. We yeah, went on a vacation. I came back the next day. And I get to my desk. And I had a Michigan bear. I don't know where it is, but I gave it to my daughter. This little bear had a Michigan t-shirt on. I put it, it was always on my desk and somebody had put it in the noose and hung it up at my desk. So, oh my goodness. I'm like freaking out. So what? I'm freaking out. At the time, uh, there was people that were being, that were doing some renovation in the space and they were contractors that we had worked with before. And they're a little bit rough around the edges, but, you know, we joke around every once in a while and laugh and whatnot. I thought one of them did it, uh, so I was ready to fight. And then I found out who actually did it. It was the boss that I was supposed to take the company from. What? So, uh, so how are they going to ask you? I'm just like, on so many levels. Yeah. So I'm sorry you went through that. That's number one. Number two is how are they going to ask you or even talk to you about secession? So, and then, and then turn around. So, so here's the thing I learned through that that everybody, well, some people are smart, but some people don't have common sense. My boss, I think he went to Illinois and I think he thought it was funny because. It was a Michigan bear, so he hung up the Michigan bear. Oh, he was he was looking at it as a school that's, rivalry. That's what I'm thinking. But, but mm-hmm. for you to do that, you have to go past, ah, man, is putting a noose on a black guy's desk the best idea? Like, right. don't necessarily. Right. It's just right. an understanding frame of reference. So... My thought was, okay, if you meant it in a racial way, 
that's messed up. If you meant it in this school rival way, whatever you want to call it, A, we don't have that kind of relationship. Like, we don't talk about football like that. We don't jones about, like, oh, my team's better than yours. First of all, it's Illinois. No one cares. <laughs> but anyway, even <laughs> even if you if you were trying to go that avenue, we would have to establish that relationship of us talking junk back and forth in order for this to make sense to me. And it doesn't make sense to me in that way. It only makes sense to me in this racial way. So mm-hmm. I'm out. So after that, I didn't quit, but I started to make my exit plan. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, all right, I'm going to get out of here. I got licensed. I was happy about that. But I was just like, I know I ain't going to be here for that much longer. And then I left. I came home. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, like, I, like I said, I, I, like I said, the first thing is like, I'm sorry it happened to you. The second thing is like, you had this upward projectile that you were going in with your career. I mean, like I said, traveling. I mean, you, you had 2008, you bounced from that. You're traveling the world. You're building yourself up. You're taking your exams. And then you get hit. We talk about this all the time. It's like, you go on through life and then something happens. And and I almost want to say from the black experience that catches you off guard, right? And you just and it's and it stings you. I mean, that, that wasn't the first time. Like Gafari, I got slave money. So it was just kind of like I'm What? I was just like, I'm I'm kind of done with Chicago. Slave yeah. money? So, so it's uh no, so it was uh it was Confederate dollars. Somebody oh. went to a uh, a war. He was a history buff. He went to South Carolina or somewhere in the South for his vacation. Went to one of the war sites, picked up some souvenirs. Apparently, they out here giving Brayback Confederate dollars as souvenirs in the South. Just so you know, um, but he mm-hmm. brought them back and he was giving them out to people in the office, and he gave me one. I don't think anybody else was looking at the money. I looked at it and I'm like, there's mm-hmm. slaves on here. What the? F- what are y'all doing? And so, so again, again. No empathy, nothing, no feeling at all. People can be book smart, but not everybody has common sense. So one of the one of the questions we ask sometimes is. Can you discuss any obstacles in your way? And, uh, you know, you started out talking about how you uh, had the two jobs during the recession. You graduated during the recession, had the two jobs, uh, you know, going back and forth. And I thought that was (laughs) the obstacle. I got got (laughs) obstacles for days. But, you know, just going. Yeah, both of those are big ones. I mean, I mean, like I said, even to make you be like, okay, I am done with Chicago because that's like I'm coming back to Michigan. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. I kicked myself because I was like, man, if you did what you should have done, I wouldn't even be an architect because I'd be rich, and I'd just be mm-hmm. chilling, mm-hmm. probably saying, Sandra, hey, I got some money. I need to invest it in some properties out here. What projects? Yeah. So yeah, I, I've had several uh, obstacles. Still here, still standing, still strong. Yeah, yeah. So did you did you have somebody uh, 
out because you're outside of the school walls now. You, you know, you had your group that you could go to while you were in school. Did you have anybody in Chicago or somebody back here in Detroit that you were talking with that kind of mentored you and helped you through some of that? No, that was more so just my wife and my dad. You know, it, I tried to play the Isaac experience to my advantage of just like, okay, it happened. It ain't going to be the last time. If you can still own this place, can you handle walking into this builder, into this, this office and dealing with these people until this dude retires? That was the question that I had to ask myself. Like, can I, can I wait, I don't know, five, six years until this dude retires so I can take over and then fire everybody? Um, <laughs> can you wait that long? And, you know, having a conversation back and forth with my dad and my wife, and I was just like, I, I can't, I can't. I can't. I I will snap. I will snap. I don't even. Yeah. Last, last couple of months of me being there, it was like uh, I used to be the head of permits. I was like, I don't care about none of y'all permits. I'm not doing anything. I'm coming here. Yeah. Put my headphones on. I'm gonna listen to Spotify for the next eight hours. If you ask me to do something, I'm gonna tell you no, or I'm gonna tell you I'm busy. Wow. Wow. That's a win out the sales type of thing. Oh my goodness. I mean, for you to for you to recover from that, it, it says a lot. I mean, we always talk about losing African Americans in the licensing process, and that's just through test taking, but not through outside, you know, influence. Right, and the test is a whole other right. thing, right? Ooh. So it's like Whoa. you're going through double obstacles or triple obstacles, and still. Came out the other side, a licensed architect, came back home, got into, I know would help you as a mental, you know, kind of mental floss. I'm back here. I'm back to familiar ground. Let me ground yeah. myself. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, uh, to be totally honest, we, when I'll call it serendipity or God's grace, whatever you want to call it, when it was actually Damon Dickerson who called me and we would talk every once in a while. And he would talk about this thing that he had going on with Kim Dokes. And would I, would I be interested in, in partnering up, teaming up, joining with them and doing some projects here? And at first I was, you know, yeah, man, I can do it, but I got to do it from Chicago because I'm in Chicago. And the moment all of this happened, it was just like, hey, I'm coming home. So what we got? And, you know, he, he told me about working with Sandra and I was like, I know the name. I know her face. I don't know her very well, but I trust her more than I trust these people here in Chicago. So, yeah. Was there ever any other conversation about that? Any apology? Any? No, I wasn't looking for an apology. I wasn't looking for uh, another conversation because it was, you're older than me. You should know better. I should I shouldn't have to be the grown. Well, I mean, I'm a grown man, but I shouldn't have to be like the elder in this situation and tell you why this is horrible. Why this? Why I could sue you and take your your company from you? Why I could shut your club your your doors down and you not have an office anymore? Why I could destroy your reputation and mess up everybody's life in here? I shouldn't have to mm -hmm. do that. I could. 
but I'm not. I'm just going to leave. I wish wow. I did. I'm going to be honest. I wish I did. But, you know, you make your decisions and you move on. Yeah, I, did, I, I had no idea. When you, like, so when you came back to Detroit, never knew, you know, why. You, I figured it was you returning because of your family. And, wow, I just had no idea. I, can't I mean, it was, also, it was also that, too. That, that played a part in it. Like, we had my daughter. And just to be totally blunt, it's super expensive to have a kid in Chicago. Our daycare cost was more than our rent. Basically, one of our checks was going to daycare costs every month. You know, it just made sense. It made sense to come home. But also just professionally in Chicago, I think I was a little jaded and I was a little bit worn out uh, and I needed I needed to go. Because had, had I stayed, it would have gotten ugly. And rather than it get ugly, I'd rather bow out and just, you know, make make my bones somewhere else. Wow, that's yeah. Cool. That's and then them tests, man. Ooh, them tests. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, them tests. <laughs> I get test anxiety. So sitting down for four hours trying to take a test and studying. Again, that, that one was just a testament of sheer will. Um, the stubbornness helped out there. Yeah, it? It, helped, <laughs> it helped out a lot there because I told mm-hmm. myself, look, we got one year. If we we go we go give it everything we got, we're gonna take these tests every I think it was like every two months. We've taken a test. And uh, maybe not even been two months. It might have been a month for some of them. And it was just we gonna give it all we got for a year. We pass it, we we pass it. If we don't, you did everything you could, we're gonna find something different to do. Mm-hmm. Um Luckily, I passed. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, right. Literally at the ninth hour, it was December 23rd, I got my last test <laughs> that I passed. It was structures. I didn't think I passed that joker at all. Um, wow. well, you gave yourself some hard lines. You said you will find something else to do. I was I was I was giving myself a time period, but I wasn't saying I was gonna totally be gone. You you were like <laughs> He said one year and I'm out. If it didn't I was work like, out, we didn't tiptoe around this for long enough. Either you're gonna do it or you're not. And I was like, "All right, we gonna do. We got a we got a one year timeline. Let's go." Um, I joined the Noma Are Prep Facebook group. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was all up in there. Angela was my uh, my mentor. Keep okay. Me, keep me on task. I mean, I did everything I was supposed to do. I bought all the books. I took seminars. I was I studied every day after work. I would come home, study for three hours, write notes. So tell tell the audience a little bit about so you were in Noma when you were in college, but tell them about the Noma ARE study group. A lot of people don't know about that. Oh man, things are amazing. I don't remember exactly how I found it. I think somebody you told have, me you have about to, it. You have to you have to be told about it and invited. That's uh Yeah. I was a part of Noma in Illinois. And I think that's probably how I found out about it. So I got the invitation and it was just kind of a, it was a group to A, keep you on track and keep focused and to give you encouragement to keep going because it's really easy to see one fail and just be like, I'm not, I'm not doing this for another year or like just seeing that fail. It hurts sometimes. So when you fall down, everybody lift you back up like, hey, we've all gone through it. 
we it's, it's happened to us all. Just keep at it. Just keep trying. If one study method didn't work, there was a multitude of people to say, maybe try this, maybe try this. Where were your deficiencies in the test? Maybe study these these books, study from these books. It was a support system and it was a much needed support system because I wasn't getting it at work, <laughs> obviously. Um, and you yeah. had went through so much without a support system. Like I said, you had it in college a little bit with the normal chapter that was there. But when you got in your professional career, you had stepped out and really um, had to do a lot of things on your own. So that's good. The study group helped you get through that piece. Oh, yeah. This test. This is like, it was much needed. It was that. And one of my, my friends and colleagues from uh, school, uh, his name's Tommy Haddock. He was taking the exams in California the same time I was taking the exams. So we also, outside of NOMA, we were keeping each other, keeping each other on task. And, you know, it helped. It made me feel like I had some competition. So, you know, I'm trying to pass all of mine before mm -hmm. you pass all of his. I won. All right. <laughs> but you're very competitive as well. Yes. <laughs> Not just with yourself. It helps. It helps at, at, at points. So, so I have to ask you, so you, a lot of uh, Black architects come out of school and they do find a, a Black architect to work for. And that usually kind of helps some of the transition into the profession. So you have never really worked for a Black architect until you kind of really start working with Kimberly Dokes and, and Dokes. And, and you. And me. Wow. You were the first. You were the first, honestly. Uh, I mean, you were already, what, what I was six? licensed. Yeah. yeah. I was licensed. I was three or four years in the game. Yeah. Wow. Like I said, that's a lot. I think, like you said, that the part where you go alone and you, you kind of have a long, <laughs> long ranger out there. The helicopter comes and says, we need you. Yeah, you, you, you really did that. I'm like, man. It's tough kind of without a support system in the profession to get through. I mean, a number of people we've interviewed in the past have worked for, they almost look for that Black architect to work for just to say, okay, you know, I'll get understanding here and it's a place of comfort to, to make it in the profession. So for you to kind of go as long as you went without working for a minority architect, that's, that's a major deal. And I think I got a lot of... I got a lot of what I needed, even though I wasn't getting interactions in the workplace with Black architects and Black people in general. That's why I was in NOMA, like when I was in Chicago. That's why I would come to NOMA meetings. That's why I would go to NOMA conferences, even if I didn't know anybody. And I would just sit there and just, I'd just soak it in because it's just like, oh, my God, I, uh, where y'all been? I just, I'm just so happy that I see y'all. That's, that, I just, I don't. Understood. I don't need, I don't need to <laughs> say nothing to nobody. I just, I was just happy to be in, I just, I'm just happy to be in a room, y'all. I'm just happy we all in the same room. We could talk about all the things that I go through that I'm sure you all go through at some point. It's just nice to see you all. It, it really is. So that, that kind of leads to your discussion of your role, your upcoming role in 2023. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is Noma Detroit incoming president, president-elect right now? Yeah. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm sure you have uh, words of wisdom for anyone you come across <laughs> based on the story you just told us. 
as the reason that we need the National Organization of Minority Architects, as, yeah. as the reason that we have this 50-year-old organization, just to help them as being the other all the time in a room to have a place to feel like, as we call it, Noma family. Yeah. Um, that you have really touch base with and kind of ground yourself and get understanding of how to navigate a profession where you're 2% of, of something. So yeah. it takes a lot to navigate that. Yeah, I'm very excited. The thing I keep telling telling you, Sandra, is just, again, I'm just trying not to mess up. <laughs> I know I won't. I know it'll be fine. But I just want to see the chapter flourish as much as it can. Maintain the status quo, but also put a little bit of me into the chapter as well. So I look forward to it. I'm excited. I just finished actually doing Project Pipeline, and it was was a good time. It was a good time. I I loved it with the kids. I liked that I was exposing them to architecture. I had parents asking me, you know, so what do I need to do to get him? Because he likes, and I'm like, I didn't have this, man. Right, Here, let me, right, let right. me give you all the information that I can give you. Ah, <laughs> here's my card. Call me, text me, email me. I don't care. Just whatever he needs. Just, just tell me what he needs. Yeah. It's like you automatically know because of what you've been through that that person is going to need, you know, this information at this point in time. It's like you, you didn't have that yourself and you have you know, you just want to look out for them, you know, look out for these young kids coming yeah. in. I, I, I only got the, to the Detroit Noma Pipeline that, the, the first day, and it was a young lady there from Eastern Michigan University. She was going for urban planning, and she just wanted to find out about, before she started this fall, how does urban planning and architecture intersect? And oh, work? wow. And I, was like, and I was like, oh, that's great that you came to this camp. I was yes. like, this is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just those connections that, like you said, not being able to meet an architect before you started your career and just, you know, you gave somebody your car. You never know what that's going to lead to in the, in the future, right? With that person yeah. having someone to reach out to that you didn't have when you went went through the same path. So you, you're already giving us what we need as a president. So that, I'm, ready, I'm ready for it uh, to see how 2023 goes out. I know I got a good team behind me to keep me from uh, messing up too bad, so. You are not gonna mess up. Mess up, right? You are not gonna. It's gonna be. I say that tongue in cheek, but uh, <laughs> I know I got a good team to help me get everything that I want to get done done. So I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you want to accomplish, or are you holding on to it until? Well, I mean, I'll t- I'll touch upon a couple of things. I want to first and foremost, I want to have some some more regularity with just chapter meetings. You know, I want to have a little bit more engagement with our actual uh, membership group and even not membership group. Like I want to, mm-hmm. I want to invite them in so they can get a better feel of what Nomad Detroit is about. And I want to expose them to both architecture and, you know, non-traditional architecture as well. I mean, I, I, I'd say I, I'm kind of a non-traditional architect kind of leaning into the developer side, but, you know, just trying to show them what you can do with an architecture degree. Get the degree, get your license, do that. But here's all the things that you can also do with that license. I would come to some architect as a developer uh, seminar classes. I'm ready. Yeah, I, I, 
I would like to bring as many options as possible for somebody who is interested in architecture so they don't think that they are going to be excluded just because they don't fit the uh, traditional mold of what an architect is. Mm-hmm. Ah, that sounds good. I mean, well, get your license. Wait, get your license. I, I say that too. So there's a <laughs> so big I am not in- licensed. So uh, there are reasons for that. But hey, if that's what if that's what you need to do for your career, get your license. So no, that was a uh, like I said. I'm looking forward to 2023. Looking forward to the chapter. You know, coming coming out of COVID. Right. That's the, that's the big thing. Right. Oh <laughs> right. It's like trying to get back to the to the regular of of everything. So looking forward to that i know that uh, next year will be a good year for that yep yep i'm excited for it so we kind of close out and we want to keep it too long we appreciate your time but you kind of gave words of wisdom for future generation of black designers black architects Uh, you know get your license and the perseverance that you just show as an architect coming through this career but is there anything you would want to say in closing i'm just gonna leave it with something that my dad always tells me Every time something good happens, every time something bad happens, it's in your hands. He leaves it open-ended as to what that necessarily means, but on a day-to-day basis, for me, it means you're in control of what you want to do and what you want to be. So don't ever let anybody, no matter what happens, (laughs) don't ever let anybody make you feel less than and make you feel like you have to do something you don't you make your choices you keep it in your hands get licensed <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you Kendall. We appreciate thank you, you Kendall. Today. thank you i had a good time this is awesome thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode of hidden in plain sight and that's spelled s-i-t-e we really would appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone else who would love it too, please share it with them. If you're looking for more content like this, Hidden in Plain Sight is part of the Gable Media Network. You can find similar shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And before you go, if you haven't already, Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on the contributions of our upcoming contemporary and trailblazing architects. Want to learn more about the unknown ladies of architecture? Then I recommend you listen to She Builds Podcast, where we tell the stories of remarkable women who have shaped the design and construction industries. Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm Nurjiti. And I'm Lizzie. After we graduated from Syracuse University School of Architecture, we set out to learn and share the untold stories of women that traditional school curriculum left out. One day, there's an announcement on campus that women had been seen wearing, quote, inappropriate clothing. Gasp. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, so it turns out that Ruth and her fellow classmates were these women. They had field classes where they're doing welding, forging, and foundry work. And obviously they have to wear jeans to those classes instead of like dresses or whatever else. While Gertie was in school, she wasn't just going to classes, trying to stay alive like some of us. 
I know that was me in school. Yep. Just taking it day by day. Yes. But not Gertie. She became the president of Evigol, an honorary association of Cornell women architects. Of course she did. These are stories not taught in schools. Women who've molded the world of architecture, construction, and development for over a century. From Jane Jacobs to Ray Eames, She Builds Podcast explores the legacies of trailblazers. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. Let's fill the gaps in history together. All you have to do is follow the link in the show notes and subscribe and be part of a movement to expand industry narratives.